Amen. If you have your copy of Scripture in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, book of Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 32 through 40 this morning from the book of Hebrews. I'd invite you to turn there, Hebrews 11, 32 through 40. This message is the, tri- the reward of triumphant faith. <clears throat> I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning, Hebrews 11. 32 through 40. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the desert and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that it would impact our hearts and our lives this morning as we hear the proclamation of your word may it be proclaimed in such a way that that we understand that at the end of your word is Jesus Christ at the beginning of your word is Jesus Christ that the entirety of your word is about Jesus Christ we pray these things in Jesus name amen as we close out Uh, This chapter, which is called the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Let's remember that the preacher writer of Hebrews 11 had a hope for revealing faith to this Hebrew church that was facing, they were getting ready to face persecution. In fact, this church would soon fall into the hands of a mad emperor named Nero, and those who persevere will do so because of a triumphant faith and the promises of God's word. We must understand that Hebrews 11 was not just written as a feel-good message for faith, but it was indeed a matter of life and death. And today, we're reminded that dark forces are at work in our culture and that religious freedom is fragile within our culture. Within our culture today, evil is called good and good is called evil. And if we're not careful, then we will succumb to the slippery slope of what's known as secular humanism or more relativism. Furthermore, the only unforgivable sin in our culture is the sin of intolerance. The only thing that will not be tolerated is intolerance in our culture. And the logic is that if someone is intolerant, then that person is not a Christian. Our faith is assaulted from many Angles, but let us remember that Jesus was intolerant. 
and his followers were intolerant. And as his followers, we are to be intolerant. It is probable that the church is not far from being persecuted, but let us not lose heart because we are to have a triumphant faith. It's interesting because the author of Hebrews here sounds like a preacher that's looking at the clock and he is uh, running out of time. He has a lot more he could say if time allowed him to, but he simply lists some names without comment and then talks about the experiences of others without naming them. He uses general terms to describe these people, and though all of them gained approval by their faith, they did not receive the promise that we have received. The author is making it clear that faith is needed, and this speaks against our human tendency to use faith as a means for personal comfort, because if that is the case, then when a trial comes our way, faith gets abandoned. You see, faith trusts in God no matter the circumstances because faith looks to the final reward, and that is how we have a triumphant faith. The author breaks this down, this passage, these verses, into three parts for us. First, we will see the blessing of faith in verses 32 through the beginning of verse 35. And then we will see the perseverance of faith for the last part of verse 35 into verse 38. And then we will see the triumph of faith in verses 39 and 40. So let's get into this message. First, the blessing of faith. So we have a powerful picture of the blessing of faith. It's a panoramic view. It, it glances back over history over the history of Israel, and it highlights the lives of some of the great men of faith. It's a picture of those who dared to believe God against unbelievable odds. Remember, we said several weeks ago that faith is not just believing in God. See, sometimes we say that faith is believing in God, but faith is not just believing in God, but faith is actually believing God. Now, We can't go into the details of every single person that's listed here. Otherwise, I would quickly run out of time, kind of like the author of Hebrews is saying he would do. So instead, I'm grouping them all together under two headings. First, heading number one, faith empowers people to accomplish great things for God. Faith empowers people to accomplish great things for God. The author of Hebrews lists half a dozen men who are empowered by faith. Four of them were from the period of Judges in your Bible. So if you go back and and read through Judges, four of these people are mentioned in Judges. And then he lists David and Samuel as well as the prophets. These men are not listed in chronological order. And we really don't know why he chose the order that he chose. Most likely he's just given names like when you just write off names about something. That's most likely what he's doing. What I do find interesting is as we look at the list... The first five men, for sure, all had some serious problems in their lives. And in spite of their flaws, their faith is still honored. Gideon had to be coaxed to do what God called him to do. And then after his victory over the Midianites, remember he had 300 men, goes against 135,000 men and defeats them. He then makes an ephod that led Israel into idolatry, even though he had some severe failures, he's still listed as a man who had great faith. Barak 
met a great army of Sisera who had 900 chariots and myriads of troops and with only 10,000 men from two of Israel's tribes Barak came out victorious however he only did it at the prodding of a woman named Deborah or it would not have even been accomplished at all Samson seemed to have no moral brain waves at all because he continually lusted after foreign women and yet he routed the Philistines numerous times and in a great act of faith he prayed and received strength to avenge himself over the Philistines. Jephthah, the son of a harlot, was driven away by his half-brothers and later he summoned back to save Israel, which he did through faith, but his faith was perverted and he made this crazy vow to sacrifice the first thing that came out of his out of his house to greet him. And if you know the story, his daughter comes out and he keeps his stupid vow and he sacrifices his daughter. David was a man with great faith, someone after God's heart. He defeated Goliath as a teenager. However, later he commits adultery, then murder to cover his tracks. Even Samuel, who had lived a life of faith from the time he was a boy, he would deliver God's message to anyone, anywhere, at any time. But he did fail to raise his sons to follow the Lord. Samuel was considered the first of the prophets. So when the author says Samuel and the prophets, he's covering the prophets from Samuel to Malachi. The prophets as a whole boldly would speak forth the word of God. They would speak truth of God's word into the lives of people. And often they suffered because of it. However, if you take all these men listed in verse 32, we can't forget that they had flaws. They're not perfect people. Yet in spite of their flaws, God still uses them because they trusted God. In fact, they trusted God in a time when faith was scarce and a minority position. Think about, think about it. During the time of Judges where many of these men are mentioned, we read that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Judges 21-25. And these men were men of faith. I don't believe that this, this is here for us to kind of look at our sin and say, well, my sin is no big deal because we should be confronting our sin on a consistent basis. John Owen said, we better be killing sin or we'll be killing us. However, this should cause us to be encouraged to know that God uses flawed people who trust in him. We don't seek to justify our sins, but neither do we wait until we're sinless or perfect to serve the Lord. The reason we don't wait until we're sinless or perfect to serve the Lord is because we will never be sinless or perfect. Instead, we trust in Him and His grace, and we can be empowered to accomplish great things for God. This is the beauty of faith, church, that in spite of our faults, in spite of our flaws, in spite of all of our shortcomings, there is hope for every man woman and child that faith will empower us to accomplish those things that are beyond us as believers we have faith that we have never even tapped into in our lives that will not only surprise others but would surprise us as well every single follower of christ no matter how flawed you are 
No matter how sinful you think you are, no matter how big of a problem that you think you have, every single follower of Christ possesses some faith that is like a stick of dynamite just waiting to blow up. Oh, that we would be a people of faith that you and I and our church would accomplish great things for God, not because there's something great in us, but because we are flawed people who have a great faith in our great God and that God would accomplish great things. Not only do we see that faith empowers people to accomplish great things for God, but we also see second part of this is that faith empowers us to do things that are only explainable by God's power. Faith empowers us to do things that are only explainable by God's power. To bolster his argument in regards to the power of faith, the author now changes his focus to reveal that faith empowers us to do things that are only explainable by God. And he actually lists nine things in three groups of three. As we look at this list, there are a few common things like enforced justice and obtained promises. But the rest of the list is quite miraculous, except for one thing. As we look at the list, there's one thing that is very much common to to everything that is accomplished by faith when it says are made strong out of weakness. Faith requires that we indeed recognize that we are weak. But at the same time, faith recognizes that we must lay hold of God's strength to accomplish anything. That's why Jesus made it clear when he said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say, apart from me, you can do some things, or apart from me, you can accomplish a lot of stuff, but you really need me. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. The Apostle Paul, who wrote one-third of the New Testament, who is very much a competent person, said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we suffer sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. He also said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The point is that faith empowers us to do great things. It produces fruit in our lives. Every Christian who has ever accomplished anything for God knows this truth. At the very foundation of what they did, it was done by God's power. Look at the list. The first three things was a general experience of the preceding 16 members of the Hall of Faith. They knew about conquering kingdoms. They knew about enforcing justice and obtaining promises. The second list relates to personal deliverance. Samson, David, and Benaiah shut the mouths of lions through physical force. Samson ripped a lion apart with his bare hands. David grabbed a lion and thrust it through. Benaiah descended into a snowy pit and killed a lion. However, Daniel is who we commonly think of as, we, as he was uh, thrown into the lion's den and through faith and prayer was unharmed and delivered. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced the power of fire and were delivered as the awestruck king looked on. David, as well as many others, escaped the edge of the sword. These are all personal deliverances. Then he gives a, a third 
part of the list, which reveals an outstanding power that came through faith. Elijah raised the widow of Zarephath, son from the dead. Elisha accomplished something similar for the Shunanite woman, son. What I want us to notice is that there's a lot of power in these verses. As we read through these verses, that it just seems like some powerful stuff. But it comes through faith. This, these powerful things come through faith when we read of the resurrection of the dead in escaping the fire and the sword and being mighty in war. When we read all these things, all these powerful things, it comes through faith. Here's my question. Is their faith any different than our faith? Is their faith any different than our faith? You see, so often we read about things in Scripture. Great acts of faith. And we put that way up here and we'll look at their faith. But their faith is no different than ours. I'm just curious, what are you trusting in God for right now that's beyond your ability? Right now, in your life, right now, what are you trusting in God for that's beyond your ability or beyond your comfort zone? Have you ever prayed God do something in such a way that there could be no human explanation for what you did? Do... God, do something so great that it cannot be explained by human power. Faith like this involves putting yourself in a situation where if God does not come through, you would fail miserably. That's not to say that we do not plan or that we do not prepare. There's, There's not some sort of spiritual gift of spontaneity. You know, like I have the spiritual gift of just being spontaneous. That's not a true thing. But, I mean, you should plan, you should prepare, but it should put you in a position that if God does not come through, then it's going to be a colossal failure. Do you pray, God, if you don't work this out, it's going to fail? God, I know I've planned and I know I've put stuff together, but if you don't do something, this is going to fail miserably. You know, kind of like Peter. You remember Peter. He sees Jesus walking on the water, and he calls out to Jesus, Lord, tell me to come to you, right? That's what he says. And what does Jesus say? Now nah, you better not, Peter. No, he doesn't say that. In fact, if you read it in the original language, Jesus actually commands Peter to come. He doesn't even give him option. He commands him to come and walk to him. What's Peter do? No, nope, not going to do it. No, Peter steps out of the boat. He begins to walk on the water. He eventually starts to sink. And we get on to Peter. We say, oh, well, look, Peter sank because he lacked faith. But he's the only one who got out of the boat. 
He's the only one that called out to the Lord, Lord, if it's really you, let me come. And guess what? When he began to sink, did Jesus just let him drown? Did Jesus go, oh, well, I guess you shouldn't have got out of that boat, Peter. Guess you shouldn't have obeyed. What did Jesus do? He helped him. And we should be the same way. Lord, if you don't hold me up, I'm going to drown. Lord, if you don't come through, this is going to fail. What do you pray that God will accomplish through this church that could only be explained because God's the one that did it? You ever pray big prayers for our church? God, do something so big that, that it cannot be explained. The only explanation would be to look at what God did. Do you ever pray that? I want to encourage you right now today to start on a personal level. These people conquered kingdoms. What sin needs to be conquered in your life by trusting in the power of God? These people enforce justice by faith. Do you apply faith to your job or your daily routine so that God's justice or righteousness is evident in you? That, that they, they obtain the promises. Do you claim God's promises for the problems that you face every single day? So first, we've seen the blessing of faith. Faith empowers us to accomplish great things for God that can only be explained by God's power. And God will use those who are flawed just like you and I, just like we are, to accomplish the unexplainable by his power. And if we stop there, that would be great. This We could just wrap this message up and put a bow on it and say, go have some great faith, people. And it would be great. Because that's exciting. But we have to continue to read, right? And so we see the perseverance of faith. At the beginning of verse 35, the author says that women receive back their dead by resurrection. And then he doesn't even skip a beat. He says the women received back their dead by resurrection and some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. What happened to all the exciting stuff that we read about earlier? What happened to all those great things of faith that we got to read about? You almost think that if, if the first half was a, a list of people with great faith as you're reading it, you would think that the second half must be a list of people that didn't have faith. Because look at the blessings that we see in the first half of the list. And then as we continue to read the second half, these people got all kinds of problems. However, one could argue that the second half had greater faith because how easy it is, is it to express faith when you are being tortured? It's not easy at all. I think if we were asked today, if we were to ask people, hey, what plan would you sign up for? Are you going to sign up for the blessing plan or the torture plan? Right? If we ask people that question, 
I think most people would pick the blessing plan, right? We say, well, sign me up for the blessing plan. However, we must understand that there are times when God is pleased to withhold blessing and instead prove that His grace is sufficient and allows us to go through overwhelming trials so that our faith would persevere. We have in our text perseverance in the midst of persecution. The idea of being tortured while refusing to accept release may refer to two instances during the reign of a wicked Antiochus Epiphanes which is reported in the non-canonical book of 2 Maccabees 6 and 7. The book details the gruesome torture of a 90-year-old priest named Eleazar because he refused to eat swine's flesh or pig. The book then goes on to recount an even more gruesome tale of the torture of seven brothers who refused to eat pork as well, and they were tortured and killed in front of their mother. Each of these could have been released if they would have Compromise, but they refuse to do so. And so the point is that God's children can persevere in persecutions even in the midst of torture. Not only were there, was there perseverance in persecution, but there was perseverance even to death. That's what, when we read that, and it says people were stoned and sawn in two and killed with a sword, that's what it means, that they died. People are commonly stoned in Palestine because... There's no shortage of stones. They're everywhere. And so this was one of the murderous weapons of choice. And so they would, they, though we have no record of anyone being sawn in two, there is a non-biblical, um, again, book, uh, which is the Haggadah and the Ascension of Isaiah that asserts that the prophet Isaiah was sawed in two but the false, by the false prophets of Manasseh who stood by laughing and rejoicing and that neither... Did he cry aloud or weep, but his lips spoke with the Holy Spirit until he is sawn in twain, it says. There's also an untold number who died by the sword, but through faith they persevered even to death. And finally, we have those who persevered in the midst of deprivation. It says they went about in skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute and afflicted and mistreated says, of whom the world was not even worthy of them. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Read the irony. The world has rejected them, yet the world does not even deserve them if the world did accept them. What is the point? Well, the point is that the prosperity gospel is a bunch of lies. It's lies from the pits of Hell, that's the point. The point that says if you have faith, then you will always have blessing is a bunch of garbage. It's not in the Bible at all. The health and wealth gospel is a heresy as preachers in their fancy cars and fancy suits peddle their goods to buy fancy planes so that they can fly around the world is ridiculous and it's not biblical and as we see fancy preachers on tv proclaiming send me money and you will prove your faith it's a bunch of garbage and it's peddled throughout the world throughout the world in some of the poorest places on earth the prosperity gospel is being peddled to people that don't know any better and they hear preachers saying oh if if you just have faith you have all this great stuff all this health and wealth just like me 
I've been to a third world country where people sometimes are starving to death and I've seen the prosperity's gospel reach into that country and trick and fool and take people and peddle that garbage of heresy to them. It's ridiculous. That's not what the Bible teaches. These are saints that the world is not even worthy of having them, it says. And yet the call is for them to persevere in persecution in deprivation even in death and the whole reason that they can persevere in their faith is because their eyes are on what's greater and this shows us too that the fierce opposition that Satan has towards those who are faithful to God it reveals that that wicked people will inflict evil on godly people. And it should encourage you and I to persevere through rejection and persevere through injustice and persevere through ill treatment and persevere through torture if it ever came to that and persevere in death if need be for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And though in America we rarely know what it's like to suffer for the case of Christ, the day may be coming when we will have to suffer. And so the challenge is that you and I would persevere in our faith. And lastly, we see the triumph of faith. Verse 39 starts with, these words, and all these. Which is a reference to both groups of people. That they gained approval through their faith. That is what it means when it, when it says that though commended, however, it says that yet none of them received the promise. First, let's be clear. God forgets no one. All of these, it says. The famous and the not famous. The known and the unknown. They were all commended for their faith. God will forget no one that serves him. Now when it says none received the promise, that is a reference to Christ. Many promises were given to them and fulfilled in their lifetime. They did not receive the great promise of the coming Messiah. They all died before Jesus appeared. They entered heaven with a, with a promise unfulfilled. They saw him far off in types and shadows. And, and they, would, they would look at the, at the um, sacrificial system and know that it referred to the Messiah. So they saw him in types and shadows. But we get to see him clearly revealed to us in the New Testament. They were under the old covenant, which could not make perfect you and I are under the new covenant of the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament saints were saved, but they were saved on credit. They looked forward to the Messiah. And we are saved on debit. We look back 
to the Messiah and Jesus on the cross. We see the picture clearly. They had to look forward and try to see the picture. These Old Testament saints were faithful through all the trials. Even though they did not receive the promise of Christ in the flesh, they remained faithful. How much more should we be faithful since we have seen Christ? John Calvin said it this way, A small spark of light led them to heaven. When the sun of righteousness shines over us, with what pretense can we excuse ourselves if we still cleave to the earth? How great is our advantage as we walk on this earth? We have the perfection of Jesus Christ to lead us. And even though we have the promises of Christ, we yet do not experience the fullness of his glory that is to be revealed with him in heaven. And so like those Old Testament saints, we live by faith in God's promises as we await the return of Jesus Christ. We must have a triumphant faith. Our Savior sits at the right hand of the Father and he prays for us. And so I challenge you, church, walk in faith. Have a faith that triumphs. Do not succumb to the delusion that faith is all sunshine and rainbows because it's not. And as our culture sinks further and further into depths of evil, the church will not sail through that untouched. Will your faith triumph? That is the question. Let me conclude this morning by giving some specific application to you first is your faith ready to sacrifice your present comfort for future reward is your faith ready to sacrifice present comfort for future reward you see Faith recognizes that this life that you and I are living is but a vapor. We are here for a small amount of time, and then we're gone. Faith knows that the momentary light affliction is producing an eternal weight of glory in us. For the apostles, Paul's, this light affliction was beatings and being stoned and shipwrecked. And he says, those are light afflictions. Being thrown in prison, that's a light affliction. So I ask, when you experience light affliction, what is your response? Are you willing to sacrifice present comfort for future reward? When you go through the light affliction, do you respond with, Thank you, Lord, for the light affliction? Or do you respond with grumbling? God, why do I got to go through this again? Or God, why did you allow this to happen? Or God, this is so hard. Or God, this is such a struggle. Or do you say, thank you for the light affliction? I know that this affliction is light compared to my eternity with you. See, some of us, We're not willing to sacrifice our present comfort. We like what we have. We like our house. We like our car. We like our bank account. We like what we have. And we're not willing to sacrifice what we have 
for future reward. And the minute we go through some sort of affliction, we start to grumble. And there's nothing worse than a grumbling, whining, complaining, bellyaching Christian that cries over nothing, over light affliction. Second, faith focuses on God, not on people or things. Faith focuses on God, not on people or things. And what I mean by that is this. The people mentioned in our text persevered through mocking and scourging and imprisonments and death because their focus was on God and not on other people or things. Faith in other people won't get you very far in life. Faith in things won't get you very far. They lived their lives in light of eternity. Their eyes were focused on what was above. Their eyes were saying, Lord, whatever it is that you would have me do, I'm willing to do it. John Calvin said, we ought to live only as to live to God. We ought to live only as to live to God. As soon as we are not permitted to live to God, we ought willingly and not reluctantly meet death. Wow. So basically what he's saying is that we should live our lives for God. And as soon as we are not permitted to live our life for God, we ought to be ready to see death. That should be our attitude. God, let me live for you, and as soon as I can't, let me see death. You see, faith focuses on God. Faith asks the question, what does God think of this? Faith says, how does this please God? Faith says, is this glorifying to God? Before we do anything, before we step out, before anything, does this? how does this glorify God? And it doesn't focus on people or things. Thirdly, faith trusts God and is obedient to God, leaving the results to God's sovereignty. Faith trusts God and is obedient to God and leads the results to God's sovereignty. We see from this text today that some trusted and obeyed God and they received rich blessing. Others trusted and obeyed God and they're sawn in two. They're beaten. They go through extreme extreme trials. Both trusted and obeyed God. And the the difference has nothing to do with their faith. Has nothing to do with it. God didn't look at this faith over here and say, Oh, well, look how great their faith is. I'm blessing them. And these guys' faith over here, it's not so great. So therefore, they're going to be beaten and sawn in two and go through all this, this stuff. That's not how it works. It didn't have anything to do with who they were as a person. 
You know what it had everything to do with? God's sovereign purpose in each and every situation. What God wanted to do. That's all it had anything to do with. What God wanted to do. Not with the people. It's what God wanted to accomplish. And we have and we know the same God that these Old Testament saints knew. And he does not change. And what is more is we personally know Christ. So we should trust him as they did. Whether he chooses to allow you to suffer or not. Whether he chooses to allow you to be put to death or not. Whether he chooses to deliver you from something or not. If he chooses to bless you greatly, so be it. The whole point is that we live our lives and our goal in life is be obedient to God. We say, God, I trust you. And I'm going to be obedient to what your word tells me. And I'm going to leave the results up to you. You see, we have so much trouble with doing that, don't we? We have trouble doing that when we share the gospel with someone. We think that, oh, we're going to win that person to Christ. Like, oh, if, if only I shared this right, or oh, if only I said that right, or if only I did this right. And it stinks if you think it's all up to you. And that's, I'm convinced that's why many of us don't share the gospel, because we think it's up to us. Like, we're, we're going to, we might mess it up, and we might do this, and we, and we think it's up to us. It's not up to you. You say, okay, Lord, um, your word tells me that I am to share the gospel. So therefore, I share the gospel, right? Because I trust you. I trust your word, and I'm going to be obedient to it. Therefore, I do it. And guess what? You leave the results to God. You say, okay, God, whatever you're going to do with that, I'm just going to be obedient in whatever you're going to do with that. Church, I don't know what's going to happen every Sunday I stand up here and preach. I have no idea. I mean, somebody could come running down the aisle at any moment. And, you know, things go wacko in here. And I, I don't know what's going to happen, right? I don't know if God's going to touch your heart through the preaching of his word. I don't know if God's going to change your life. I don't know if someone's going to come to know the Lord. I don't know if someone's going to get baptized. I don't know if someone's going to say, you know what, I want to be a member of this church. I don't know what God's going to do. All I know is I got to be obedient to what God says and I leave the results to him. I say, God, if you're going to do something, you do it. In spite of me, because I'm flawed. But he's going to do it. You see, faith, that's what faith does. Let me be obedient. But God, the results are in your hands. And I pray that you do something great that can't even be explained. That's what faith does. Lastly, last application, and we'll be done. Faithfulness to Christ counts more than anything else. Faithfulness to Christ counts more than anything else. I love how Martin Luther put it in one of my favorite hymns of all time, A Mighty Fortress. He writes, Let goods and kindred go. 
this mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Now you can be thankful I didn't sing that. But oh what truth. Trust God. Trust God, Christian. Trust God in the midst of your difficulty. You trust God. As you walk through sickness, you trust God. As you are faced with sadness, you trust God. As you as your heart hurts inside of you, you trust God. As you suffer greatly, you trust God. And when you don't understand anything that's going on in your life and you can't comprehend why your life seems to be falling apart, Christian, you trust God. And you say, God, I have faith. I will be obedient to you. I leave everything up to you. I trust in you so that you will hear well done good and faithful slave enter into the joy of your master and so I simply ask you are these applications true in your life are you willing to sacrifice the present comfort for future reward Is your faith focused on God and not people and things? Do you trust in God and be obedient to Him and leave the results to God? And are you faithful to Christ, counting that more than anything else in your life? We just spent weeks studying faith. Weeks. The only question is, Where's your faith? What's it in? Who's it in? Where's your faith at? Where's your faith at this morning? And maybe this morning you say, Pastor, I've never placed my faith in Christ and you'd like to do that. I'll be down front. I'd love to talk with you. You say, I I need to pray. I'm suffering. I need to pray. I'm not following after the Lord. I need to pray. Maybe these applications are not true in your life. You need to come and confess that to God and say, God, forgive me. Maybe God wants to do great things in and through. I don't say, I said maybe. God does want to do great things in and through the life of this church. Are you trusting him to do it? You see, part of that is you being obedient and leaving the results up to God. And if we would be obedient and leave the results up to Him, we could just say, okay, God, we've done what, we've done what you said to do. Whatever happens, happens. But I have a feeling that many of us can't even say that because we're not obedient. We do what we want to do. So if the Lord's spoken to you in any way, I'll be down front. I'll pray with you. I'll talk with you. You can hang out afterwards. We have potluck going on. We can talk then. Whatever it might be. But as we sing, you'd be willing to come this morning. Let's close with prayer.